Well, church family, let me ask you one more time to join me in Matthew chapter 5. We do come now to the very end, not of uh, Matthew's gospel, not of the Sermon on the Mount, but chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount this morning, verses 43 to 48, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. I want to go back and just remind us of what we saw together last week. Uh, in the text, because what we see this morning is very much building upon the things that we studied together in God's Word last Sunday. So just let your eyes kind of fall back to verses 38 and, and 42. We saw that if we're going to love others according to God's design, not just our friendly brothers and sisters within the context of the church, but also those that sometimes may not like us very much outside the church, then there are going to be some realities that will be true of us. Number one, we saw last week that loving others by God's design means that I'm not going to seek to take my own revenge. That I'm going to let God be God and do what God does and I'm not going to seek to get even. Secondly, we saw that I'm not going to seek to defend my own honor. Even when people unjustly say things or unjustly do things, I am not going to quickly rush to defend my own honor. Thirdly, We saw that loving others by God's design means that sometimes we are quite literally going to have to go the extra mile. We will get pressed into service in a sense. And Jesus says when they tell you to go one mile, you go two. And then lastly, in verse 42, we saw that loving others by God's design means that I'm going to hold loosely to the world's goods, to what I think belongs to me, and give generously for the good and the need of those around me. And as we come to the end of chapter 5 this morning, in this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to very much build upon the things that we saw together last week. And here is going to be the thrust of His instruction to us in this text. Not only should we not take our own revenge, we should actively seek To love our enemies. It is not enough, Jesus will show, to just stop at not defending my honor. I must seek to actively love those who intentionally dishonor me. It's a weighty text. And beloved, I want to just say to you from the outset, it is an impossible text text. What is before us, the standard that is here, especially as we get to the last verse of this, the standard before us is impossible. But there is a Savior, and there is His righteousness, and there is the Spirit of God dwelling in us that will enable us to do what God is calling us to do And even in the ways when we don't do it perfectly, there is righteousness from Christ to make us acceptable and pleasing to God 
We who were once His enemies, but now His children. As we remember how God has loved His own enemies. How God has loved you, dear saint. When you were His enemy, I'm praying that this compels us to love our neighbor, and especially our enemies, so that we might show forth the beauty of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you read the text with me this morning? Matthew 5, starting in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I want to essentially kind of build on the sermon points that we saw together last week as we were thinking about these realities that are going to be true for us if we are going to love others according to God's design. Just like last week, uh, we're going to say this is part two of that this morning, all right? And so I want us to see then in this text four more realities that will be true for us if we are going to love others according to God's design. And so here is then the first reality for us this morning. In verse 43, what we find is that loving others by God's design means that I am going to love my enemies. I'm going to love people like God loves people and like God has called me to love people, then what that means for my life is that I am going to love my enemies. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said. For the last time, we see that formula here. Jesus pointing back to the law and then showing the great heart and fulfillment of it thereafter. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now this might seem like a perplexing kind of statement from the law of God. So I think maybe a bit of explanation is due here. What Jesus is doing in verse 43 is that he is summarizing for us the errant teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. What they have taken from God's law and what they have taken, twisted and perverted, to meet their own selfish ends and desires. You recall that in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, we get that refrain from God, love your neighbor as yourself. So here's what has happened then over the years with the rabbis, the scribes, and the Pharisees of Israel. They have taken that verse out of Leviticus 19 and verse 18, and what they have done is they have said this, 
that law from God is given to the people of God, therefore, that must then mean that my neighbor is not just anybody or everybody out there. My neighbor is only another Jewish person, again, to whom that law was given. They would say, that law doesn't apply to me when it comes to my Gentile next door neighbor or that person down the street. They began to say, this only applies to my Jewish countrymen. And so then, they were off the hook, if you will, about showing love to their Gentile neighbors. Beyond this, they also uh, would make it the case that even among their Jewish brethren, even among their Jewish countrymen, that love and kindness would only be shown to those other Jews who were first loving and kind to them. And so you begin to see what happens, right? If you are quick to take offense, if you are quick to say, well, my neighbor is not just anybody or everybody, it's only my Jewish countrymen, then the circle of people that you are bound to love and care for, that gets really small, right? And so we can begin to sort of pick and choose who it is that we will love. And if you're a Gentile, if you're outside the camp, well, you are my enemy. You are my foe. And I am not bound to love you. So as a result, they've lost sight of the heart of God's law. As a result, they have lost sight of the heart of God. As that circle becomes very small, Jesus interacts now into verse 44 and says this to them, but I say to you, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Instead of hateful or dismissive attitudes, speech, and actions towards one's neighbor, uh, toward one that you might designate as an enemy, instead of hateful attitude, speech, and action, Jesus calls His disciples. He calls you, church. He calls me. He calls us to love our enemies. And in verse 44, to pray for them. Instead of harboring hurt, we are to forgive. Instead of taking our own revenge, we are to show mercy. Instead of hate, we are to love. Instead of disdain towards them, we are to pray for them. It is certainly true that throughout the history of God's people, over the last 2,000 years in the history of the church, it is certainly true that God, that His Gospel, that His kingdom, that His people, they have had their enemies. They have sought to extinguish, to sideline, to silence enemies even today. Enemies of the cross of Christ continue. And even today they oppose. They mistreat. They slander. They misrepresent. 
They outright lie about Christians. They unjustly take. And sometimes, sometimes we know that that persecution is unto death. And in the midst of those realities, both for the original hearers on this day and for these hearers in this room today, the reality is Jesus saying, I don't want you to justify your anger, your unforgiveness, and your hatred toward those whom you deem as your enemies. I'm calling you to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm calling you to not make those distinctions about other people in your hearts and to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When our reflex is to get angry and to get even. When our desire is to loudly defend in those moments, when that's welling up within us, after we have been sinned against or wronged, how do we practically love our enemies? Look in verse 44. I think the answer is right in the text. And I'm so thankful for this. In verse 44, loving your enemies begins with prayer. Pray for those who persecute you. Whether that be your life is in danger. Whether that be that you are ostracized for the cause of Christ. Whether that be you are made fun of, called all kinds of hurtful things because of your biblical worldview of what is right and what is wrong. When they persecute, when they push against you when they line up across the battlefield from you, if you will, as your enemy. Our response is love. And the way that we first and foremost love them is that we pray for them. It is hard to hate someone for whom you are praying. It is hard to shoot back arrows at the one for whom you're praying. It is hard for you to hold a grudge and to seek your own revenge against someone you are constantly taking before the throne of grace. The journey to loving your enemies like Jesus begins with prayer. So I think it's worth asking our hearts in this moment, Am I making it a regular practice to pray for those who persecute, who come against, who dismiss, who misrepresent, who lie? Am I praying for such people? What then do we pray for our enemies? I think this is vast. I think this is broad. We can pray that God would open their eyes. The enemies of the Gospel have their eyes closed and blinded by sin. Instead of harboring hatred and grudges and unforgiveness regarding the offense against you, do you remember in that moment 
that the biggest reality in the room is not your offense, but that they are dying and going to hell. And if that be the greatest reality in that moment, then we must pray, not that we could get even, but that before God takes out vengeance, that God would open their eyes. Pray that God would soften their hearts. As you try to tell them the truth of God's Word, as you try to graciously show them the error of their way and the seed that you are sowing, the seed of God's Word, it just kind of bounces off of those stony hearts and it, it won't sink in. And no matter how much you try, you can't seem to get to them. Pray. Don't be angry when they slam the door in your face. Don't hold a grudge when they act according to their nature. Pray that God would soften their hearts. So that the seed that you continue to sow might fall upon fertile ground. Pray that God would grant grace and mercy and forgiveness. Church family, you and I in and of ourselves cannot turn a sinner from the error of their way. Only God can do that. And so pray. Pray that God would be gracious and move in their work and orchestrate conversations and moments and relationships so that they might hear and be saved. Try to remember as you pray and as you interact that their greatest problem is not that they have offended you, but that they have offended God. What they desperately need is not your retribution. They need God's grace. How else might we love our enemies? In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, as Luke is recording this moment, Luke records Jesus is saying, do good to those who hate you. How do we do good to those who hate us? What did the text of last week tell us to do? In verses 39 to 42, turn the other cheek. Give them your coat. Go the extra mile. Give generously. Or Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 to 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Maybe, maybe in this moment, as you're thinking through this, maybe you're tempted to say, no way. They have hurt me too badly. They have hurt me too much. Their opposition has cost me beyond measure. They have been cruel and unrelenting. They have taken too much and the hurt is too deep. Maybe you're just thinking, if you would be honest, I just don't really want to love my enemies. I just don't feel like that. I want to be angry. I want to harbor a grudge and unforgiveness. If that temptation is seeking to well up within you, and even if it's not, can I remind us of a couple of things this morning? Number one, 
Turn to Romans chapter 5, verses 8, 9, and 10. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. These verses might be familiar to some of you. Here's what I want us to remember. That when we were God's enemy, God loved us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates, He shows it, God puts into action what He's telling us to do in chapter 5 of Matthew to love our enemies. God does that while we are sinners. He sends Christ and Christ dies for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Remember, remember, that when you were God's enemy, listen, we were not spiritually neutral. We were not spiritually good. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. And it's worse than that. We lined up on the battlefield in opposition of God as His Enemy. Enemy to His holiness. Enemy to His law. Enemy to His kingdom. And what did God do anyway? Here's my Son for you. Secondly, I would remind us that while on the cross, bleeding and dying, I think we referenced this last week, but do you recall what Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus is literally praying for His enemies. They have beaten Him. They have spat upon Him. They have ridiculed and made fun of Him. They are quite literally killing Him. And Jesus prays, Father, what? Forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. If we have tasted of such grace, mercy, kindness, and compassion, and forgiveness, how can we refuse to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us? John Stott said this, he said, if the cruel torture of crucifixion could not silence our Lord's prayer for His enemies, what pain, pride, prejudice, or sloth could justify the silencing of our prayers? Loving others by God's design means that I am going to love my enemies. Secondly, loving others by God's design means I am going to give grace to the undeserving. I'm going to give grace 
to those that maybe I would think or the world would say they don't deserve that grace. Verse 45. Your enemies, pray for those who persecute so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. As you move into verse 45, that little phrase, so that, here's what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you will become, by that obedience, sons of your Father. What Jesus is saying here is, love your enemies and pray for your persecutors so that you will show that you will display, that you will give evidence that you are already sons of your Father. You cannot be nice enough. You cannot be generous enough to get to heaven. But if you have already tasted the sweetness of God's love, grace, and mercy, you will love your enemies. And look in verse 45. And particularly what Jesus is saying here. In verse 45, Jesus is essentially saying this. You don't get the right to hate people. Because God causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. And you and I don't get the right to hate our enemies. Because... God causes it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If God be so kind, even to sinners, how could we dare to be cruel? If God shows such a common grace to all people, how can we withhold it? If God looks upon the evil and the unrighteous, and even in their rebellion against Him, still says, here is sunshine and rain for you. Here is life. Here is goodness. Here are the things that will satisfy you, at least from an earthly sense. How can we withhold grace from others? We cannot be the children of God and hate people. Choose to not love people no matter who they are and no matter what they have done. We cannot claim to have received the grace of God, the unmerited and undeserved favor of God. We cannot claim to have received that and then not give that. Listen, beloved, we may have enemies, but we should never seek to be an enemy. We might have them. People might, of their own, uh, of their own account, of their own accord, they might persecute and ostracize and, and be the enemy of the cross of Christ, but we should never do anything that would cause people to be our enemy. Give grace. Do good to your neighbor. If you have been loved by God, received grace from God, have been given so much good by God, then give grace to the undeserving. 
John Calvin said this, in short, Christ assures us that this will be a mark of our adoption if we are kind to the unthankful and evil. The charity which God requires in His law looks not at what a man has deserved, but extends itself to the unworthy, the wicked, and the ungrateful. Church, never forget that you and I were once enemies of God, but He came to us by His grace. We didn't deserve it. Could not have earned it. He came to us in our unworthiness. He came to us in our wickedness. He came to us in our ungratefulness. And He saved us by His grace. And so, loving others by God's design means that we will show grace to the undeserving. Thirdly, third reality for us is that loving others by God's design it means that we're going to relate to people differently than the world does. We're going to relate to people differently than the world does. We're going to have a different standard of how we interact even with our enemies. Look in verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, verse 47... What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You want to know the easiest thing in the world? This is the easiest thing in the whole world. The easiest thing in the whole world is to love people who love you. That, that is easier than falling out of bed. The easiest thing is to be kind to those who are kind to you. Nice to those who are nice to you. Polite to those who are polite to you. And Jesus says in verse 46, congratulations, that's what the tax collectors do. And when He said that, they bristled. That got under their skin. I mean, probably everything else He said up to that point, but definitely this. Because the tax collector was probably the most hated person in all of Israel. They were usually Jewish people who had sort of, in, at least in others' eyes, sold themselves out to Rome. The Gentiles. And they did Rome's, ooh, they did Rome's dirty business. They collected taxes. And it's not just that they collected taxes. They, they collected more than taxes. They got their share. In order to get their share, they got to charge you more, right? They were robbing their own countrymen. They were despised. And Jesus says in verse 46, if you just love people who love you, that's what the tax collectors do. They're nice to those who are nice to them. They're polite to those who are polite to them. You're no different than your hated tax collectors if that's your standard. He says in verse 47, if you greet, if you welcome if you extend relationship and fellowship only to your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. If you're walking down the street and you're only kind of waving to, greeting, speaking to those who kind of first wave at you and make some good eye contact, that, that's what Jesus says the Gentiles do that. These people that are pagan dogs, you, you think about them? That's their behavior. 
Jesus is calling His people to a different standard here. Loving others by God's design, it means loving people who don't love you. It means greeting people who quickly turn away and try to walk away from you. It means moving toward intentionally those that just don't really want anything to do with you and would rather oppose you and lie about you. It means taking the first step toward those that are unlovable. It means being the first to extend the hand of greeting. It means attempting to love others when they want nothing to do with you. The world standard is, we'll be nice to them if they'll be nice to us. That is not the biblical standard. The biblical standard is, I'll love and serve them even if they hate me. I will put food in their mouth even if they revile me. I will give them a cup of cold water in Jesus' name though they scoff at my Savior. We have a different standard by which we love our enemies. Church, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God did not love us according to the world standard? Aren't you glad that He didn't love you according to how much you loved Him? We read it a minute ago, Romans 5, 8, God loved us when? When we were sinners. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. The way that we love others and our standard of who we will love and when we will love them and how we will love them has been radically reshaped by the Gospel. How God has first loved us. And then lastly, we're going to love others according to God's design. We're going to have to trust in somebody other than self. We're going to have to trust not in my ability to get that done. We're going to have to trust in Christ's righteousness. Verse 48. Therefore, wrapping it all up, this really extends back to everything that Jesus has said in chapter 5, going all the way back to verse 21, in particular, certainly applying to the verses immediately preceding it. Therefore, in light of this high calling, in light of this standard, in light, Jesus says, of what I have shown you regarding the heart and the truth of God's law, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What a way to end that section of the sermon. You're to be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. After all that Jesus has said, specifically about loving our enemies and doing good to those who hate us. He calls us to total, complete perfection. This has always really been the standard of God's law. When you read through the book of Leviticus, all these laws that seem so and feel so burdensome and tedious to us, all throughout the book of Leviticus, you get this refrain, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. It is that, that, that phrase, it is the constant drumbeat throughout the law 
that portends our utter doom and destruction because who can be holy just like God is holy? We read that statement and it's almost deflating to us. i got to do all this and keep all this and I can't mess this up not even once and i got to be perfect just like God is perfect? How? And we feel the guilt and the weight of condemnation because we have not perfectly loved our neighbor. We have not perfectly loved our enemies. Who among us has perfectly trusted God and not taken our own revenge? Who among us gives grace to the undeserving and entrusts our enemies to God in prayer? Who among us has done that perfectly? The answer to that question is no one. No one. We are being called here, beloved, to, from a human perspective, an impossible standard. An impossible standard. Holiness. Perfection. But we can't do this. If we got 10 million lifetimes, we would never get this right. We need a better righteousness than our own. We need a better law keeper. We need the perfect righteousness of God imputed to us and in Jesus. The great fulfillment of God's holy law. That is exactly what we have. We have a better righteousness. We have a better Savior. We will never love our enemy. We will never keep any of God's Law, God's Word, apart from Christ. If we're going to do these things, then we need Jesus. If you are here this morning, and you feel the weight of, man, I haven't loved my neighbor, and I've been holding grudges, and I've been withholding forgiveness, and I'm not giving grace to people who I think don't deserve it. But yet, you're, you're conflicted because you've got this standard in verse 48 that's rubbing against everything that you think and believe. I've got to be perfect. Friend, take refuge in this. That Jesus is not calling you to something that He does not first give you the means to do what He calls you to do. If Jesus calls us to perfection, then He will give us His righteousness to be what He's called us to be. Do what He's called us to do. And it even gets a little better than that. Because even as Christians, we don't do this perfectly right. Even as Christians, we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. We don't love our enemies as we should. But because you have a better righteousness clothing your soul, beloved, you are in Christ and God is pleased with you. But if you are not in Christ, you are under the condemnation of the law and you must turn from your sins and you must trust in Jesus.
And you must not delay. You must not. Church, the world at no point, no point in Scripture are we promised that the world is going to be our friend. In fact, we're promised just the opposite. They're going to hate you. And they're going to revile you. They're going to persecute you. They, they, they persecuted the prophets. They persecuted Jesus. The servant is not greater than his master. They're going to persecute you. What is our response? In light of this beautiful and glorious gospel, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to them. Actively seek to win them through grace, unmerited, undeserved, and reflect the beauty of God's love, grace, mercy, compassion, and forgiveness that He has first given you. Reflect that back to them. And see, just see what the Lord might do in our community, in our streets, with our neighbors, and with all who might revile the name of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, here we see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, calling His people to a particular standard, doing so with Pharisees and scribes, Sadducees, the elders of Israel in the crowd, who would, in just a couple of years, persecute Him to the point of death on a cross. We, at that time, we see Jesus while on the cross, not reviling in return, not defending His own name, but entrusting His soul to a faithful Creator. Entrusting Himself to you. Loving His neighbor. Praying for them. So then, God, that's how we are to love our enemies. God, I pray that we would seek to posture our lives to be no one's enemy. But if enemies come, God, help us to love them. To give them grace. To do good. To pray. God, help us to remember their greatest problem is not me. Their greatest problem is with you. And that they need you. God, help us in light of all that we've seen in this section. God, help us love one another well. To be faithful to you. And by the righteousness of Christ in us to live these things out for your glory and the advancement of your kingdom. In Christ's great name.